What's up, everybody? My name is Brady Morgan, and I am the host of the Budget Trek Podcast. Before we get into the show, I want to talk about our sponsor. SocialX is a community of entrepreneurs working together to make a positive impact on the world, scale their businesses, make more money, and build their networks with like-minded individuals. They have weekly mastermind calls featuring top business leaders, online courses, and amazing entrepreneur events all over the country, which teach entrepreneurs how to go from zero to six figures. If you're interested in learning more about SocialX, go to socialxevents.com and tell them you came from the Budget Trek podcast. Now, onto the show. Today we have a very special guest, Apple Kreider. He is 20 years old and he has a top 100 business podcast called Young Smart Money. Apple, what's up, man? Brady, it's a pleasure to be here, man. Thank you so much for having me on the show. For sure. Thanks for coming on, man. So I, I want to ask, your name's probably not actually Apple. <laughs> That's that's a question I get very frequently. And no, if you look on my birth certificate, it will not say Apple Kreider. It will actually say Andrew Kreider. And so the story goes in second grade, which is uh, quite a while ago now, because like you said, I'm 20. So in second grade, a kid thought Andrew Kreider sounded like apple cider. And being a second grader, I was like, you know what? Apple's a pretty cool name. So I think I'm going to go by <laughs> Apple now. And so here we are like 14 years later and I'm still going by Apple. So it's kind of just <laughs> a nickname that ended up sticking. I feel like I kind of grew into it. So, uh, and now it's good for branding. So yeah, that's where it love came. it, man. <laughs> love it. Love it. So let's go in and dive deep into this. So I'm not sure how familiar you are with my content, but Budget Trek essentially began as my wife and I's journey towards our own version of financial freedom. So full transparency, we started out $50,000 in debt, which doesn't sound like a lot to some people, but when That's you have a nine to five. Yeah, it's a lot, right? And at 23 years old too, we don't have a house yet. We're living for free. Very grateful for that. But $50,000 is a lot. So Budget Trek started on that foundation and it's kind of molded into this sense of accountability for myself, but also as a source of education through my struggles, my successes, but also through interviews with people like you. So people who are constantly just striving to be better versions of themselves. And we're going to dive in deep into that and your story and how that all applies. But before we get into that, what is the dumbest purchase you've ever made? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that question. Okay. See, the thing about me is like, I don't, I'm not like a spender. Like there's mm -hmm. the people who are like the spenders and there's like the savers. I'm definitely a saver. Like you got to like, give me some real value to make me part with my money. But that being said, the dumbest, so usually the dumbest purchases I make are like impulse buys where mm. I think I need something. Like I'll just, I'll have an issue and I'll think that I know the solution to it, but when in reality I don't. So for example, um, when I first got to this apartment that I'm living in right now, I recorded a podcast and the, the audio was shit. Like it's, I don't know if I can swear on here. I'm sorry. Um, but the audio was really bad. So it sounded really bad. It sounded really echoey. And I thought it was the room's fault. Okay. I thought because I'm in this big, like open room with flat walls, I thought it was the room's fault. So I instantly go on Amazon and buy about a hundred of these like foam sound panels that I'm going <laughs> to put all over the walls. Cause I'm like, that's the issue. That's what I need to do now what I didn't realize was that I was just at a conference before I had moved in. I was using my microphone and I had it set to a different setting. So it was set to pick up audio on all sides instead of just from the direction I was speaking in. So that was the issue. I figured that out before Amazon prime even got me my, my things to stick on the wall. So when those got here, I had like 10 boxes, like all across this room, most boxes <laughs> of these foam panels. And I was like, I have no use for these. So then I have to bring all these boxes with me down to the UPS uh, which is luckily like two blocks away from me. So I was like balancing all these things with a giant tower. You couldn't even see me. It was crazy, man. People were seeing me walk down the street and they must be thinking this dude's crazy. But I carried these like 10 huge boxes of foam panels back to the UPS store. They shipped it back. It cost me like, I don't know, like 15 or 20 bucks just to ship them back. So like, yeah. honestly, I ended up losing a decent amount of money just returning those things. But like, that was, that's, that's the most top of mind right now. Cause that was like a month ago. That's crazy, man. That's crazy. So Kind of to bounce off of that, when I was in college, and I've said this before on previous episodes, but I served at a restaurant and I made like 500 bucks a week. But to me, that's a lot of money, yeah. right? So me and my friends, my roommates, we go to Walmart and, you know, we're just messing around and I see Walmart. this life-size cardboard cutout of Chewbacca <laughs> and it's $50 and it. I'm like, I have to buy this. Why would have I not? To, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So of course I bought it. It was the center of the living room. Eventually we destroyed it. So no use out of it now. But thinking back, I'm like, why the hell did I think that was such a good thing I had to buy? But when you're in college, I mean, 
that's the thing. Like it's, a, it's the impulse purchases. It like is, you man. don't, I didn't have the capacity to just think about it. You know, I just, I just did it. So yep. I, can relate, obviously, I can relate. Yeah, exactly. And those impulse purchases are how the $50,000 in debt. So uh, yeah, dude, I'm learning that man, you know, like you, you just, we just talked about before we started airing, but you're about to graduate college. Mm-hmm. And when I first graduated from college, I started working at an investment bank, UBS made $45,000 a year. And in Nashville, okay. that's not a bad salary. But, you know, coming out of college, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, that's a ton of money, right? So mm-hmm. eventually, you know, got paid a little bit and I was like, you know, I need a new car. And then mm-hmm. eventually I realized like, I'm not getting paid as much as I thought I was, started dipping into credit cards. Then me and my wife combined our finances, her car and her student loans. And it's like $50,000 adds up quite a bit. And I try yeah. to tell people that are younger than me is like, don't think you can just start racking up credit cards and you're going to pay it off like that. You're that you're smart with your money because I thought the same thing and it's really easy to rack it up. And then you get into this hole and it's like, well, shit, I don't know how to get out of it. So that's how the foundation of all this started. And like I said, you know, this is kind of accountability for me in education, but I like interviewing people who have similar mindsets that really want to strive to be better versions of themselves. Mm -hmm. So you know, from social media, you can see that you have this, this certain level of success. You know, you've interviewed really prominent individuals. You've been to conferences. You have a really cool brand. Your name's Apple. <laughs> you got the colored hair, you got the headband, but you know, you, you have that image, but we all know that you don't start this journey with success. You have to work at it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And that's where I want to dive deep into. I want to talk about the journey. I don't yeah. want to talk about where you are today. Yeah. So you're starting this podcast, you're pushing out content, you're still in college. How did the management of your own personal finances play a role in helping you get to where you are today? You know, that's a really good question. So as far as like my personal finances go, I like to keep things as simple as possible. That's honestly my philosophy for like everything, whether it's like money, school, business, like I like to keep things simple. I'm not the type of person to overcomplicate things. So I see some people like doing all these crazy things in their business, like buying all these different like softwares and subscriptions and everything. And I'm somebody who just wants to keep things as simple as possible. I don't want to have to stress about all these different things, um, especially when it comes to personal finances. So for me, my my core philosophy is like, keep it simple. So whether it comes to uh, spending money, saving money, investing, I'm keeping it simple all the way around. So before I started going to school, I opened up a Roth IRA and that's kind of been like the cornerstone of my financial, like my personal finances is just like prioritizing my Roth IRA and making sure that I I always have enough money to just be constantly putting money into my Roth IRA. And um, for those of y'all that don't know what a Roth IRA is, basically just a tax advantaged retirement account where you put in money after you've paid taxes on it. So you get paid, you put that money in there that you've already paid your taxes on. Um, then that money is allowed to grow tax free. So when you retire, you can take money out of that account without paying any taxes on the gains. Um, right. Other than selling drugs, it's one of the few ways that you can get uh, <laughs> some tax free income. So uh, that, that's a really, really good way to start building up some, some investment income if you're young, because um, likely you're at a very low tax bracket right now. So me, when I was in high school, like I wasn't even paying taxes. Like I was making whatever, less than $10,000 a year. So I didn't have to pay any taxes. So I was, I was putting money into this account and it was just growing and it's still growing. And so that's where I basically got started. So uh, I've been contributing consistently. I've been maxing that out every single year. So right now the limit is $6,000. That's $500 a month. So I've been putting $500 a month into this account consistently. And that's sort of the basis from there. Um, with a Roth IRA, it's basically any kind of, it's, it's like any kind of investment account. So when you put the money in there, it's not automatically growing. Okay. You have to actually invest it into some kind of, of either stock, bond, mutual fund, index fund. So for me, what I do again, on on the spirit of keeping things simple, I just put that money into an index fund. Okay. So an index fund is sort of, uh, it looks like a stock, but it acts like kind of like a mutual fund where it's got right. all these different investments inside of it. So I basically buy this index fund and it goes, uh, it tracks the S and P 500, which is the 500 biggest companies in the U S. So when the 500 biggest companies in the U S do well, my index fund does well, it increases in value and my retirement savings gets more valuable. So that's, that's my whole, that's my whole play with investing. I'm literally just dumping money in there every single month, investing into, um, these index funds. And then over time, uh, 
the, the stock market tends to grow on like six to 8% per year, depending on who you ask. So that's just trending up over time. There are going to be recessions. It's going to go down, but over time it's going to go up six to 8% uh, based on historical results. So that is, that's, that's sort of where it starts. Um, uh, additionally, I do have a couple other investment accounts that are kind of just for fun. So um, since that's kind of bland and boring with just uh, index funds, um, sometimes I like to be a little bit more edgy and maybe invest in individual stocks here and there. No right. like penny stocks, but I'm, I have a little bit of Facebook, I have a little bit of Apple, I have a little bit of Google, a little bit of Amazon. So I do a little bit of that as well. Um, that's just like a couple hundred bucks here and there maybe. I do have one um, account with M1 Finance. I don't know if you've heard of them. Yeah. Yeah, so I have an M1 finance account that just grabs some money out of my checking account every two weeks that I don't even notice. So literally, I have no idea how much money's in that M1 finance account. I purposefully don't check it. Um, just make sure I always have a decent amount of money, uh, at least a couple hundred bucks in my checking account so that uh, every two weeks it just grabs, I think it grabs like maybe 50 bucks, maybe a hundred bucks. I'm not totally sure. Um, but it just grabs that money, puts it in there. No clue how much is in there. Hopefully someday I'll log on and it'll be like six figures. And I'll be like, dang, <laughs> dude, that's a nice surprise. But for now it's just doing its own thing. So that's, that's sort of what I have set up as far as investing goes. Um, we can stop there or I can keep going in terms of like other aspects of personal finance. Well, I, I want to dive deep into the investing yeah. part first. So you know, it's really commendable that you're doing that because, you know, there's a lot of people that are twice our ages that don't invest at all, unfortunately. 100%. But, yeah. you know, we, you always hear that, you know, a 401k, a Roth IRA, a lot of times that's not enough for retirement. Mm. You know, not, not even a lot of times, 100% of the time, that's not enough to fund the retirement that you want. So as you begin to approach graduation, how do you expect your investments to change like are you going to invest in real estate or are you going to do something else yeah that's that's a, that's a good point so i'm actually in this one class right now where we're talking a lot about social security and sort of like the three-legged stool of retirement uh that being one leg is social security one leg is your employer um maybe like a 401k or a pension then the third leg is like personal savings so yeah so far i've been exclusively focused on personal savings who knows what social security is going to be like um, by the time I get old enough to even take advantage of it. So, so for me, I'm definitely focusing all of my efforts into that like personal savings route as much as I can. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, as far as like the future of my sort of investing goes, um, real estate is definitely something that I'm interested in. I don't think I want to dive. I was toying around with this idea. Um, and, and you can tell me if this sounds crazy. I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident that I'm not going to do it, but I was toying around with this idea of, um, putting on some kind of like entrepreneur house. I visited this dude named Ricky Gutierrez, who is super into to stock market trading. I actually um, just, uh, released my podcast episode today was with him. Oh no. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. 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 Yeah. yeah. So I met up with Ricky in Arizona and stayed at his place for a couple of days and I was like super blown away. I was like, this is, this is such a cool thing that he's got going on here. So I was toying around with the idea of doing my own little version of that. Um, maybe in Colorado or in, um, what else? Cleveland, maybe Cleveland housing is crazy, dude, extremely cheap, but yeah. you gotta know, you gotta know where to go. I got a buddy over there who, who's giving me some hot tips about which neighborhoods <laughs> are good. But, um, I was tossing around that idea, but in hindsight, or, or not really hindsight, I still haven't gotten there yet, but, but with some like more deep thinking about it, I realized that I would, I would rather get some serious traveling in once I graduate instead of like buying a house and having mm. that commitment sitting there. So I'm definitely not going to roll into that right away, but it's still an idea that I'm kind of tossing around. I think it'd be a cool, a cool thing to like get a house going and like get some other young entrepreneurs in there and, and just do some cool stuff. So that's, that's an idea that I'm tossing around as far as real estate goes. But I mean, long-term, I definitely think that real estate is, it is a solid investment and one that I'm, I'm definitely planning on getting into. Um, I haven't done that much research as of now, besides watching like Graham Stephan YouTube videos, who is right. amazing dude, interviewed yeah. him on the podcast. Um, <laughs> so y'all should check that out. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. So as far as that goes, I mean, stock market is is just easy for me right now because it doesn't require that much time. I mean, I can just buy index funds all day long and not really have to worry about them. So that's that's kind of the draw for me right now. I just don't want to spend that much time thinking about it right. because I'd rather think about things that I'm, I mean, I'm really passionate about personal finance, but I'm not the type of person that's like, I think about things in terms of like 80-20. So mm -hmm. I, I see that I can get 80% of the results from the stock market by putting in a fifth of the time by just investing in index funds and not worrying about that individual stock trading stuff. So 
that's, that's sort of why I don't spend that much time on individual investments. But yeah, over time, I think real estate is definitely something that I'm planning on getting into. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Somebody messaged me on Instagram last week and he was asking me if I'd heard about house hacking, which I'd heard of it, but just not that term where, you know, you buy a duplex, you live in one side, you rent out the other for the mortgage. And then eventually you build up that equity to where you can get another investment property and you just keep doing that over time. It seems like it takes a little bit of time to get to where you want to be, but the cash flow, you know, years down the road is definitely worth it. So, and like you said, is it Graham Stephan? Yeah. Yeah. So I've watched some of his stuff and it seems like he knows all about the real estate stuff. So. Oh yeah. He's, he's crushing in the real estate game. And that's kind of house hacking was kind of what inspired me to start thinking about. It was like house hacking plus Ricky Gutierrez equals like this, this entrepreneur house hacking project. <laughs> so that was, that was sort of where that came from. Yeah, for sure. So let's go ahead and switch gears here. So, you know, I believe I'm a firm believer that financial success and your goals go hand in hand, obviously. Fact, yeah. But I believe kind of contradictory to this podcast that you never actually reach your version of financial success because oh, yeah. as human beings, when we start to get close to our goal, it escalates to an entirely new level. So yeah. what does financial success mean to you right now? And how do you predict that changing over time? Yeah, so... I'm a, I'm, I'm a very non-materialistic type person. Um, I, I wouldn't classify myself as a minimalist, but I have very few belongings and I'm continuously just like chipping away at getting rid of more and more stuff. So for me, stuff is definitely not a part of the equation. I don't have a car. I don't really plan on buying one ideally ever. Um, I'm I'm just not really a fan of owning a car. I've, I've done it before and it's just not really, enjoyable for me. There's just so many expenses that go into it and it's just inconvenient. And I would much rather just be in a place where I could bike everywhere, walk everywhere, um, take an Uber once in a while. So like ideally never owning a car. So that's not really part of my, my MO. I'm not really the guy who wants to buy like a Lamborghini one day. Um, so that's not part of it for me. It's really just being able to maintain a quality of life that I enjoy and and not that, that involves travel that that is okay so for me it's really it's really about just like having a quality of life that i can maintain uh with 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 the the income that i generate from doing something that i genuinely enjoy so if i can do something that i enjoy and make enough money to live a decent life whether that's like three thousand dollars a month and go live in bali like cool. Like it's really just, it's not really about like a certain number. It's more just about like being able to maintain a standard of living that I enjoy by doing things that I enjoy. So you want the freedom aspect of it something you love and creating that lifestyle for yourself that, you know, it doesn't matter what the lifestyle is, but something that you enjoy and you have your time and your location freedom back. Yeah. It's not about being flashy. I, I couldn't care less, man. I've never bought any article of clothing that costs more than like $25. So like, that's not, that's not really how I roll. I'm not really, yeah, I, I don't really care about like the stuff. It's more just about like, uh, it's cheesy to say like the experiences because like everybody uh-huh. says like I spend money on experiences, but like it really is just about like the quality of life, you know, and like the, the, the things that you're able to do more so than the things that you're able to own. I feel like at least for me. Well, it seems something that you embody too is, you know, they always say like on your deathbed, you don't remember the stuff you have. You remember yeah. your experiences, the relationships. So it seems like that's something that's important to you. And like you said, you know, some people want stuff and that's okay. Yeah. No, but everybody that. has a different version of that success measure and yours just happens to be, you know, experiences and relationships, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And like, I'm not trying to like poo poo on anybody who like is about <laughs> stuff. Like if you want like the new like car or whatever, like go for it, man. Yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not the type of person to be like, no, that's like dumb. Like don't do that. Like obviously be smart and like make decisions that you're not going to regret. But if you genuinely believe that like getting this car or getting this, uh, whatever is going to bring you fulfillment and you have reason to actually believe that then go for it, man. Like if that stuff is going to like bring you real satisfaction, then freaking do it. Like yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to sit on my high horse and be like, no, that's like a bad <laughs> idea. Like I, I couldn't care less, you know, live your best life. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, we stated this through the podcast, but you're young, 20 years old. I mean, that's pretty young. So <laughs> relative, you know, everything's young, relative. <laughs> I mean, I'm 23, not too much ahead of you, but you know, being that age, still being in college, 
you know, doing this podcast, you want to travel. Do you have any financial concerns right now? Not really. I, I come from a, a huge place of privilege and I'll be the first one to admit that. So my parents started saving for me to go to college uh, very short after I was born. I mean, like within, within a couple of years of me being born, like they had already started a 529 plan, which is a tax advantage uh, college saving account. And they were already contributing to that. So by the time that it, it became like I, I started looking for schools, there was, uh, I would say, somewhere between 90 and a hundred thousand dollars in that account. So I was pretty, yeah, I was pretty well set in terms of going to school. And so when I decided, when I was trying to decide what school to go to, um, I applied to about 10 schools. I got accepted to one. So (laughs) the decision process was not too grueling on me. Um, and, and luckily the school that I got accepted to, um, it was kind of my backup school, but the school that I got accepted to was, um, university of Wisconsin, Madison. And being originally from Minnesota, we, we got this deal with Wisconsin where we have reciprocity. So I can basically go to a Wisconsin school, Wisconsin state school, um, as if I was paying the in-state tuition, as if I was a citizen of Wisconsin. So that was a pretty sick deal. So I'm actually going to, um, originally, I was going to have to take out a little bit of loans. And I do have some loans, so I was going to take out a little bit of loans every year. But I actually ended up expediting my my time here so that I'm only spending two and a half years in school instead of the full four. So I, I was able to, once I graduate, I'm going to be able to pay off those loans from the 529 plan. And there's going to be an excess of that. It's actually going to go back to my dad. So uh, I'm, I'm going to graduate school debt free. So I, I don't have any like looming student loans or anything. Um, I don't have a car payment. Um, my lease is up in December, so I'm going to have to find another place to live, but I don't really have any recurring expenses, um, other than ideally rent when I find a place to live, or if I go travel for a little bit, then, then I'll, I'll stay in Airbnbs and whatnot. But, um, as of right now, I don't really have any, any looming financial concerns. I don't have, um, credit card debt that I'm carrying. I don't have, like I said, a car loan, any like personal loans, like, I'm coming out pretty much scot-free. And since I've been uh, running my own business for a couple of years, um, I, I definitely have some decent savings and investments as well that I can, that I can use to finance a lifestyle once I, once I do graduate. Right. So, so you graduated in two and a half years or you're going yeah, to? Yeah, well, I will. I will graduate in two and a half years. So did you just up your course load? How did that no, work? No, I never took a hard semester. So people think when I tell them that, they're like, dang, you must be smart. I'm like, no, definitely not. Um, first off, I came in with a ridiculous amount of credits. So okay. in Minnesota, there's this program where you can enroll in college as a high school junior. So I took my junior and senior years at the University of Minnesota as if I was um, already in college. That was paid for by the state, which was, is crazy. Like that's, It's such a cool program. Highly recommend anyone in Minnesota take advantage of that. So came in with like a year and a half's worth of credits. Um, and then my major isn't too intensive. I'm not like an engineering major. I'm not right. doing STEM. Um, I'm a personal finance major. So a lot of that is not too like stringent on requirements. So um, between, yeah, coming in with a lot of credits and having a decent major hasn't been too bad. So technically you're graduating in four and a half years. Yeah, if you include my junior and senior year <laughs> yeah. of high school as college, then I'm yeah, just kidding sure. you shit, man. <laughs> no, I got you. I got you. <laughs> so, but but I want to dive into this because I know this is this is definitely a debate that is not talked about enough, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, like you're in college, you're pushing out content, and mm-hmm. it's all around personal finance. How how does you know the financial literacy aspect in college? You know what they teach you translate to how it actually is in real life. What's your opinion on that? Yeah, so it's interesting because my program is very much designed to prepare you to be a financial advisor. So a a lot of the things that I'm learning, uh, like stuff about social security, stuff about, I mean, how estate planning works, like all of this stuff is is really, really important. And I'm definitely going to need it at some life stage. Uh, A lot of it's not super relevant to me right now, just because I'm not dealing with um, estate planning. I'm not writing a will. I'm not worried about social security. So a lot of this stuff would be very applicable if I do decide to go down the, the financial planning route and like start working with clients and stuff. I'll be very well prepared to do that. But in terms of like, I mean, a lot of, a lot of the stuff is, is pretty timely. I mean, we talk about current events. We talk about how, like what the current state of social security is. Um, we talk about all, all these different things. So a lot of it I would say is pretty relevant. Um, 
I, I think it's, yeah, I think in terms of personal finance goes, I think it is pretty relevant. I have a buddy who just graduated with a marketing degree and he said it was very much not relevant at all mm -hmm. to the real world. So I think it really does depend on what you're studying, like personal finance. I mean, they're not going to be talking about like, they, they even do talk about some of the stuff that like financial bloggers will talk about, like the 4% rule and all this stuff about like uh, safe retirement and whatnot. So there is a lot of like really relevant information I do feel like, but in some majors, you're really not going to get that. But when it comes to like, I don't know, I think personal finance, uh, engineering, uh, that kind of stuff, I think I think you do get a pretty relevant relevant courses. Uh, I took a couple of real estate classes too that, I mean, those weren't super relevant unless I was planning on becoming like a real estate developer or working in commercial right. real estate, uh, which, is kind of, which is kind of unfortunate. I'm taking a real estate finance class right now. And I was kind of hoping that it would go over like some alternative ways to finance real estate. It's really just talking about like, if you're buying a $10 million apartment building, like this is how much you are paying in whatever. And this is yeah. how much your closing costs are going to be. And I'm like, well, <clears throat> not really planning on buying one of those anytime soon. So, um, but if we could talk about a way to do like seller financing or like these other like creative uh, financing strategies, that'd be pretty cool. But right. uh, it, it depends on what you're looking for. But I think, for me, I, I'm definitely glad I'm, I'm going to school and right. I, I'm still not totally sure if I'm glad about how early I'm graduating because I've just only kind of begin to get in my groove of like, I found the people that I actually like hanging out with and I found the things that I actually like to do, but uh, I, I'm sure I'll find those anywhere. But one of the, one of the biggest things for me about school has just been the soft skills because I am somebody who, I mean, my whole first year of school, I really didn't talk to many people. I didn't really have any friends. I was just really focused on like doing my own thing and like building a little business on the side and just like putting out content. So I was really, I was really focused, really one dimensional. And when I got to year two and, and I realized that I might be able to graduate early, that was when I was kind of like, oh shoot, like, and, and at that same time, I kind of realized what my goals were because prior to that, I'd kind of been living out Gary V's goals of like create all this content and like, right. <laughs> and do all this stuff and, and, and work 18 hours a day. And so I was kind of just listening to that blindly without really thinking about like, what are my actual goals? Like, what am I actually right. trying to do? So once I thought about that and I realized that I had such a short time left at school, I was like, well, I think that my goal is to, to, to help young people make better financial decisions. That's one of my big goals. So to do that, I need to be able to actually relate with young people. Okay. So if I, if all I can talk is, is like high level personal finance and entrepreneurship, um, I'm going to have a hard time relating with like the general, like 18 year old. So at, at that point I kind of decided, okay, let's take a step back from like working 18 hours a day and actually start like talking to people. So that was, that was a big shift for me. And over the last, I mean, that was like a little over a year ago. So over the last like year, I've been really focused on being able to better communicate with other people and building relationships and really just connecting with people who have uh, on the service level very little in common with me because I want to be able to, to interact with people from all walks of life. And I think college is such a great place to meet all these different people, get all these different experiences because like where else are you going to have like 30,000 plus people uh, who are all the same age as you, who are from so many different walks of life, who you can learn from, who you can who you can share information with. So that's been the biggest takeaway for me from school so far is like all these like soft skills that I'm learning. Of course, my classes are definitely really valuable and I'm learning a lot, especially if I do want to go into like the financial planning route. But the biggest thing has been like, yeah, soft skills, communication, and just building relationships. Yeah, I, that's definitely huge because when I was in college, I did an internship at Northwestern Mutual. Financial oh, planning. you did. You did. Dude. Okay. Funny story. Let me hop in real quick and I'll let you Go finish. Ahead. But I applied for that. Did you do like the, the financial planning one where you were like selling insurance to like your mm -hmm. friends and family? Which their, their headquarters are in Wisconsin. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I, I signed up for that internship. I did the interviews. I got the internship. And then like a month beforehand, dude who had interviewed me uh, for the second interview calls me up and he's like, I was on vacation in Arizona at this point and I wasn't really expecting a call from him, but I pick up this call and he's like, Hey man, uh, I got to talk about your social media. And I was like, Oh shoot, what happened? And he's like, well, our compliance team looked over your social media and uh, <laughs> looks like you're going to have to shut everything down for the next like three to six months if you do want to do this internship. And at this point, the internship was starting in like a couple of weeks and I was like, right. Oh shoot, like I got to figure this out. So I talked to my mom and she's like, I mean, how badly do you want this internship? And I'm like, I don't know. Wouldn't it like look good on a resume or something? <laughs> She's like, you don't, you don't need something to look good on your resume. Like no. you, you don't need this. So I basically called them back and I was like, you know what? 
I'm actually going to pass. I appreciate the <laughs> offer, but I'm out. So then I, yeah, yeah. So that, that was my experience with the Northwestern Mutual internship, but you can continue now. <laughs> that, that's funny. That, that's, I mean, I didn't have anything like that, but okay. <laughs> back, back to what you were saying though, you know, Northwestern Mutual with that whole internship process, like it forced me to come out of my comfort zone. Yeah. And like full, full disclosure of like what they do is like, you're calling your friends, your family, yep. friends, that family. list of a hundred people. Yeah. Trying to sell insurance, trying, you can't sell investments yet, but trying no. to sell insurance and push it. And like, it's scary. It really is. But you know, it's when like I finished the inter- internship MLM and I stepped away, <laughs> yeah, but I, but I realized like my soft skills were so much better and so much stronger. I was more confident in speaking to people. I could hold a conversation with people that I respected whole lot better, a whole lot easier. And like that's translated a lot into like this podcast because like I feel comfortable talking to people that I don't know. Whereas before I was like, I was really weird about it and I could hold a conversation. I was always outgoing, but if I didn't know you and if I didn't have a way to make you laugh or, or let us connect on some different level, it was so awkward and I was so bad at it. So it was like, I've got to get better at this somehow. So I forced myself to do the internship well and I'm not going to say I'm the best at speaking to people, but I'm significantly better than I was. So Uh, I I would definitely say that college, the soft skills that, that college basically almost like forces you to, because like you said, there's so many people there and you don't want to be the outlier that, you know, sits by himself and doesn't do anything. Like, you know, as human beings, we have a need to be involved and to be social. So, I mean, yeah, I'm definitely more social and more outgoing and more confident and, you know, communicating and, and, you know, holding that power in the conversations and stuff. So straight up, man, it shows, dude, it shows, <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, it's crazy that you used to work or you almost worked there <laughs> because in Wisconsin, they have the uh, annual meeting there. Yep. And like, it's, you go to like, that? it's, it's a week I did. And it's a week of just partying basically. <laughs> I mean, they have like cool people. I, I think last year, uh, magic Johnson was one of the speakers. Okay. Like that, it's pretty cool. And like they have free concerts and stuff, but yeah, from what I saw, it's like every, all the financial advisors just come and get really drunk every day for a whole weekend. <laughs> That's real, dude. I went to this, I spoke at this conference called FinCon about a month ago in DC yeah. and, and it was basically just that, dude. I mean, open bars every night, like <laughs> Robin Hood op- had an open bar one night and like all these different investment apps were like sponsoring open bar. Dude, it was crazy, man. <laughs> That's funny. That's hilarious. So I think something that a lot of people resonate with is not so much the successes, but the struggles. Sure. So when someone struggles and you're like, Oh, like I'm, I struggle with the same thing. Then you immediately have that rapport with one another. So even though you're young, even though you're about to graduate college, you know, probably in a different walk of life than a lot of the people that listen to my podcast, what is the worst financial situation you've ever been in? And how did you get yourself out of it? Ooh, I don't, I don't know if there's a learning lesson from this story. So like, I haven't really reflected on this story all that much, but it really just popped into my head. So I'm going to go ahead and tell it. If you want to edit it out, that's cool. Cause there is some legal activity involved, but <laughs> basically um, I was doing some, I was doing some sketchy stuff in high school, man. I'm going to be the first one to say I was doing some sketchy stuff in high school. So I was involved with this one guy. We were selling drugs, mostly weed. Um, and this dude, I had fronted him like, $300, I think. And so we'd been, we'd been like tight for a while. And I don't even remember how I met the dude, but we'd been hanging out for a while and we were selling drugs and I friended him like $300 for, to, to go pick up like another batch or something. And in, in exchange for in collateral, he gave me like a hat with a pin on it and like a huge like vape that was like Bluetooth. It was a, there's no learning lesson from this story, but basically I, I lent this to 300 bucks. He gave me like a huge vape and a hat and he basically just ghosted me. So, uh, I mean, that's kind of the worst thing that happened. Um, and, and, and I didn't really, uh, I mean, the thing that I learned from that situation, I guess, is like, don't lend your drug dealer $300. But <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't like the worst. I mean, I was like 16 years old. So like 300 bucks was like 300 bucks. So, um, I, I don't, I don't know if I well, really I, I, th- I think from a higher level on that too, it, it shows like, like being smart. Cause like 300 bucks at 16 is a lot of money. Yeah, it opinion. is dude. And you know, obviously like as you get older, that, that amount is going to get, is going to increase, but it, it kind of gives you like, like you've got to protect your money. 
you know, yeah. like what's yours is yours. And I think like too many people, it goes back to the whole impulse thing. I mean, I think too many people impulsively give away their money or purchase something. And then, you know, a couple years later or whatever, they're looking back like, what the hell was I thinking? You know? So yeah. I think it, it's a learning lesson because now it's kind of like, now, you know, don't give your drug dealer $300, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, it's teaching you, you know, not to make those impulse decisions with your money because I mean, it bit you in the ass in that perspective. Yeah. And critical thinking is something that historically I've just never been very good at. Hence me selling drugs, hence me lending $300 to my drug dealer. So like <laughs> in general, I think just, just being able to, to think critically about like your financial decisions, especially is really big. And I think one of the ways to get better at that is just like take some time to think before you like commit to things. Um, I, I know a lot of people like advocate for like, you should make decisions quickly because especially in business, people say that, but I, I, a lot of times I think that's just like bogus and you should really take time to, to, to think about decisions, especially when they involve significant amounts of money for you, whatever that means. So I, I think it's, yeah, it's just important to really use, use your head whenever you make financial decisions. Don't, don't impulse act on things. And yeah, just, just, I mean, sometimes like just laying out like a pros and cons list or like thinking about like, what's the worst case scenario. I, I really like worst case scenario exercises because a lot of times they make me see that like the worst case scenario isn't all that bad. But sometimes if I would have used that for this situation where I was lending 300 bucks to this dude, I could have seen that the worst case scenario was like, oh, this dude just leaves with my 300 bucks and then I have nothing. So <laughs> I mean, sometimes you just gotta, you just gotta like think about and like put yourself in the other person's shoes as well. Like think about, okay, I'm this drug dealer. I just got 300 bucks. Like what's my incentive to, to ever show up to this kid again? Um, probably very exactly. low. So when you think about things like that, like from the other person's perspective, that can be super helpful as well. So I don't know, just like be mindful of how you, how you choose to spend your money and how you choose to use it and just use some critical thinking. I, I think it's part of growing up too. I, I think like, you know, I'm 23, I'm not much older than you, but I think like as you get older, like it's such a cliche when they say as you get older, you get wiser, but it's true. Yeah. Like it's so true because it's like things like I'm 23 and like decisions I made when I'm 22, I'm like, what was I thinking? Right. But it's like just part of growing up and having those experiences. Like you have to go through stuff like that. You have to fail in that respect to know not to ever go down that path or make that decision again. Yeah. So, I mean, this kiss can go into a really long conversation, but you know, you really do learn from your failures. And I know that's such a cliche because people on social media cram it down your throat, yeah. but it's true. And until you actually experience a failure and you have a lesson from it later on, then you're, then it clicks in your head and you're like, okay, that makes sense now. Yeah. And, and it's being mindful too of like, cause you, people fail all the time and they don't learn anything from it. And that's because a lot of times they're not looking at it from from a perspective of learning. So a lot of times you have to be willing to go into situations knowing that, okay, I might fail here, but if I do fail, like let's take a step back and evaluate like what went wrong, what could I have done better? What, what led this situation to get to this result? So uh, it, it takes critical thinking to and reflection. And that's something that I'm really, I've been, I've been neglecting for so much of my life is like reflecting on stuff. I, I would just like let, let life happen to me and I wouldn't really like reflect. I'd be like, oh, well, that kind of sucked. Let's move on now. But sometimes it really just does help a lot to just like think about, okay, what just happened here? Why did this happen? Like what could have gone differently? So now I'm like a huge, I'm, I'm really just getting into meditation recently, but I've been huge on like mindfulness, journaling, reflecting for a long time. And that's allowed me to, to make a lot more uh, well-informed and well-thought-out decisions just because I can use the information from my past to influence my future uh, decisions more more clearly now. Yeah, and I think it's a really mature thing because, like, you know, this is probably kind of weird, but I just started meditating today, <laughs> actually. Oh, sure, dude, okay, good timing. But uh, because, because you hear good things about it, and, like, for yeah. me, I, I'm so, like, I get so hyper-focused on one thing that if I try to focus on something else, like, my head is so cloudy I can't mm. even think about it. And they say meditation helps you, you know, put all of your thoughts into different buckets and allows your mind to, you know, revisit those buckets at any given point in time. So it was pretty good. It's kind of yeah. weird sitting there with your eyes closed, <laughs> breathing, <laughs> but it's a, uh, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. But, but yeah, man, I, I really want to dive back into something that we had discussed just real quickly and then we can actually wrap up. Sure. But we, I, I talked about how personal finance had played a role in propelling you to where you are today. And we talked about investing. 
So, you know, with like debt management, which that's something that is huge for me because you know, like I said, $50,000 in debt, yeah. I got to management or manage it responsibly so I can get out of it. I mean, I have a goal to get out of it in one year, which is a pretty lofty goal, but yeah, if yeah. I manage it, if I manage it correctly, then it can't happen. So what, what are your philosophies and your strategies for debt management right now? I know you don't have any debt, but if you did have any debt or if you plan to take on any debt, what's your philosophy with all of that? Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I could definitely speak on this, but there's, it, it's so much different when you're actually experiencing something than when you're just sitting on the outside thinking, Oh, if I was in that situation, here's what I would do. But like, human psychology just doesn't work that way, man. Like right. you can, I mean, you can try as hard as you want to like put yourself in someone else's shoes and like empathy is a real thing and you can definitely empathize with other people. But when it comes to like financial decisions, like you can, you can think all these thoughts about like, Oh, if I was that person, here's what I would do. But in reality, a, a lot of times, a lot of that's just like fluff. So I, I, I mean, my biggest thing is like, I, I think Dave Ramsey has a lot of things, right? Like I, I I'm, I'm a firm believer in a lot of what he says. I'm also a firm disbeliever in a lot of what he says, but I think one of the things that he has right is his whole like philosophy of, of pay the smallest one off first and then just sort of build that momentum. Um, obviously if there's any that have like huge, like, I, I don't know, like 10% plus interest rates probably like hit that stuff pretty, pretty quickly. But in, in terms of like, just, just building momentum and like psychologically feeling like you're making progress. I think that's one of the biggest things because people, uh, people know what to do. Like, it's not like, it's not like people don't know that they should pay off their debt. It's not like that's, that's confusing to people, but it's just difficult to actually stick to that because it's hard and, and not spending money on the things that you're used to spending money on is hard and reducing your cost of living and your quality of living is a hard thing to do. So I think one of the biggest things to do is just like use your brain to your advantage. Don't try to play against it because it's going gonna, it's gonna to be really hard to go against the way that you're hardwired to behave. So I think one of the biggest things is just like, yeah, use those psychological tricks to your advantage. Do things that your brain is going to respond well to. Your brain loves incentives. So like find ways, find little ways to incentivize yourself every single time that, that you, you pay down a new debt or that you make a payment or whatever. Um, just find those ways to, to get your brain hooked on paying down your debt. And since I'm not in that experience, I don't have firsthand experience with like what are good ways to do that. But uh, just in the grand scheme of things and in the, I don't know, like 20 years that I've been alive, um, I found that if you can find ways to make your brain like doing things, you're gonna do those things a lot more frequently um, and you're gonna put a lot more energy into them. So that's, that's the biggest thing I would say. Again, that's all from an outsider's perspective. I have no inside experience with significant amounts of debt. So can't speak on that personally, but that's, that's the number one thing I would say. And, and yeah, I think Dave Ramsey's got a lot of things right when it comes to paying down debt. Yeah, for sure. And I definitely agree with that. But like you said too, there are some things I, I don't agree with, but the psychological aspect is true. And I think, you know, when you start paying down those smaller debts, you build momentum. Yeah. I'm a firm believer that momentum is one of the most powerful forces in the universe because when you build it and it starts a snowball, like it's a debt snowball. Yeah. It starts to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Like you don't want to stop at that point. Your brain, no. you, you've like rewired your brain to want to pay down debt at this point. Exactly. So just like you said, when you start to do things that your brain likes, it makes it that much easier, but it's just beginning. And I think that was my issue was like you said, it's not confusing that I have to pay down debt. It's just starting. And that's the hardest yeah. thing. And not even that it's starting and continuing on that path. I can't tell you how many times we would start, me and my wife would start paying down debt and we just stopped because it wasn't convenient for us. Yeah. But when you start and you get that snowball and you get those psychological positive effects, then you're like, all right, I can do this. Not to mention the podcast is kind of keeping me accountable because I put it all out there. <laughs> and if I stop now, then I look like a bitch. But, <laughs> but, um, but awesome, up. man. Well, hey, we're going to go ahead and start wrapping up. So Sweet. Th this is a really cliche question, but <laughs> I love it. You know, with personal finance and everything you're pushing out and, you know, this podcast is about reaching me and my wife reaching our own version of financial freedom mm -hmm. what would be your advice to someone around our age so that they could start to be begin their path towards their own version of financial freedom yeah so i think it's important to look at both sides of the coin so i think a lot of people will either get fixated on like the the offensive approach of like how do i make more money or like the defensive approach of like how do i spend less money but 
I think when you look at both sides of the coin and you sort of try to hit things from both sides, burn the candle at both ends, as it were, I, I think you can make a lot more progress that way. And I think you can be a lot more creative in terms of like the, the ways that you find to get closer to whatever your definition of financial freedom is. So uh, finding ways to eliminate large expenses for you, things like a car, things like housing by doing something like house hacking. So looking at things from that side, but then also looking at things from like starting a podcast and like finding ways to make extra money on the side. So finding ways to like hit it at both sides, I think is really important. And I think it can be, yeah, really easy to get caught up in either one or the other. Um, a lot of uh, guys will get caught up in like, how do I make more money? And a lot of girls will be caught up in like, how do I spend less money? So I think if you can find a way to incorporate both of those, that's, that's where you're going to find the, the most momentum, the, the quickest in my experience. Right. You know, you want to continue to increase your top line, but you still want to live like you're broke. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Don't let your lifestyle creep. Exactly. And too many people, once that income starts to creep up, their lifestyle does too. Yeah. And you know, you can make all the money in the world, but if you have expenses that equal all the money in the world, you're still broke. Yeah. So. Millionaires, like if you're making seven figures, you can still be paycheck to paycheck. Exactly. I completely agree with that. But I mean, we can go down a rabbit hole with this, but social media portrays that otherwise, unfortunately. Oh, oh so. yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, quick tip, guys. Get off of social media. Like if you're not using social media for business, like literally find the five people you actually give a shit about, like follow up with them, text them, call them. But like you do not need social media in your mm -hmm. life. I, I never used social media in high school. I was like the weird kid that didn't have Snapchat or Instagram. I still do not use social media personally. I, I have very strict limits on when I'll use it for business. And so I think it's just, you, you can get so many skewed perspectives, end up wasting so much time and like figure out the people you actually give a shit about the rest of the people. Like you just look at them and they make you feel bad about yourself. Cause they're just like portraying this, the life of like uh, amazingness. So like you don't need that in your life. I'm, I'm such a huge proponent of like, even though like I do a lot of stuff on social media, I used to do a lot more. Now I'm kind of toning it back, but uh, people, 99% of Americans do not need to be on social media. Mm. And, and it, it's really like, think about what is it giving you and what is it taking away from you? And just like lay out both of those things and figure out like, is this a net positive in my life or is this a net negative? And if it's a net negative, like you don't have to cut it out completely, but you could figure out ways to, to, to make it a net positive. Maybe you unfollow like literally everyone except for like your 10 friends and, and that's it. But like find some ways to, to make this, this a more net positive thing for you. Cause so many people spend so much time on social media and it's really just detracting from their quality of life. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. And I think it comes down to comparison and yeah. I think a lot of people crave comparison you yeah. know they they like comparing themselves to people that they view as lesser than them it makes yeah, them feel people, better about themselves yeah but at the same time the people that already have self-esteem issues they get on social media and then it just makes it worse yeah. and unfortunately people portray this perspective that they're this you know badass entrepreneur they have all this money and it's like unfortunately this might be you know kind of a taboo thing but a lot of the entrepreneurs on social media are full of shit Totally agree, man. Could not agree more. That's one of the reasons why I stopped posting on social media. I was like, this is stupid, man. Like all I'm doing is feeding my own ego. It's, it's stupid. Like, how about I just like go get some stuff done instead of like showing everybody how much stuff I'm getting done, you know? Well, that, well, think about it, man. So like people equate the amount of followers, the amount of engagement to money. They you know, do, man. It's just not related at all. There's exactly. no correlation, dude. There's no correlation. I know, exactly. But but then you look at it from this perspective. Jeff Bezos, richest man in the world. I think he has like a little over a million followers, right? Mm -hmm. There are so many more people that have so many more followers than him that are so much, quote unquote, poorer than he is. Yeah. But he doesn't, I mean, you, I think too many people focus on building their businesses on social media. I think social media will die eventually. Everything, every good thing dies. But if you focus on making a real difference in the world and, you know, maybe you post on social media every now and then, like the difference in the world that you make is what actually stays, but portraying it on social media dies. I mean, you, it's easy to buy followers. It's easy to buy engagement. It's easy to buy features in online news publications. Oh like, my God, don't even get me started. It drives dude. me crazy, man. But <laughs> people buy into that. Bunch and of they clowns. think that, oh, this oh person's featured on all these digital outlets. Like they must be huge. It's like, 
No, they just have a bunch of credit card debt and they're racking it up, you know? Dude, there are people that will write you up in these, in these publications for free. Like I can give you a list of 10 people that will write you up. You don't even have to have done anything. You could have six followers on Instagram. Three of them could be your mom and they'll write you up in like all these, they'll get you on Buzzfeed. They'll get you on all these different publications. It's stupid. It's a stupid game. And it, it, people just, they give so much credibility to these numbers and these, these publications. And it's just, it's such garbage. And like you look at the people who, who spend their time focusing on those things and they're not getting anything done. Like I caught myself in that trap like a year and a half ago. I was like, I am, I'm saying all this stuff, but I ain't doing anything. So, I mean, you really, you gotta, you gotta look a a layer deeper, but it's really hard to do that on social media because people they don't, they don't let you do that. Like, like they're always, they're always just flashing things and, and making themselves look so good. Like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's tough to, to really wade through everything. But in general, I would say if you just don't believe anything you see on social media, you'll probably be pretty close to, to correct most of the time. And, and I think like that, like people, I think people intentionally post things to get engagement, to gain followers. Yeah, if you just post things that are important to you, like the people that are actually loyal to what you're doing will stay and like all these books you read is like social media is bullshit. And what you want is loyalty from people. You want yeah. people that are loyal to your business because say you have a digital marketing agency and you have X price. Someone comes and does the exact same thing you do at a lower price. Your customers are going to leave because they don't, they're not loyal to you. Yeah, but dude. I think too many people, they operate everything they do online. And it's like, yes, that can work for in some cases, but I just think people are full of shit. <laughs> I could not agree more. We, we can definitely agree on that, Brady. <laughs> but awesome, man. Well, hey, thanks for coming on. Where can everybody find you on social media? The little bit you're on. Uh, as far as finding me, uh, like Brady mentioned at the top, I've got a podcast called Young Smart Money. Um, a couple people like to listen to that. So if you want to check that out, um, youngsmartmoney.com or search it on any podcast platform. Um, other than that, I, I, I have this... Um, I don't really talk about it, but I have a podcast editing company. So if any of y'all are trying to get podcasts edited on the cheap, we do $20 edits for um, audio, video, and audiogram. That's podblade.com. Uh, or you can just find me on Instagram at Official. Again, haven't posted on there in a couple months, but who knows? Maybe I'll get back there a little bit later. Uh, anyone's guess. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, man. Thanks for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening, guys. I post episodes every Monday and Thursday, and those are available on Spotify, iTunes, Anchor, or any other major podcasting platform. So listen to us there. Give us a follow on social media, Facebook and Instagram, and let us know what you thought of the episode. We'll catch you next time.